here in 2 Kings, uh, the focus shifts back to Judah from the north Israel, back down to Judah uh, in the south, at least in the, the first half, uh, the first three quarters uh, of the chapter. Uh, we meet a king, Mike Amaziah. Uh, Amaziah. Uh, he starts out fairly well, albeit imperfectly. Does some things right, does some things wrong. Uh, ultimately, ultimately, uh, really turns from the Lord and Lord's desires and suffers the consequences of that. Suffers the consequences. It's been a theme, as you know. It's been a theme uh, that we've seen. Uh, we'll see these things tonight. Let's open in prayer, please. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you, Lord, tonight that we can obey. Lord, thank you. There is a strength available to us as we yield to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you tonight that that filling is available. That's possible because of the cross. It's possible because of our Savior. Father, thank you tonight for these truths. Lord, we, tonight in this passage, we, we know, we see again the consequences of uh, not obeying as one should. Lord, we see tonight the pride that can lead to disobedience. Father, I pray tonight that you just remind us once again, Lord, to stand guard against these things, knowing and uh, understanding that we have the same sin nature as King Amaziah. But we also have a Savior and a new nature. Lord, thank you so much. I pray we not be discouraged tonight, but that we be greatly encouraged. Lord, help me tonight. I need that. I thank you for it. I pray that you'll just work here tonight in this Bible study time. Lord, work in our prayer time tonight also, please. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings 14, please. Uh, 2 Kings 14, we see here um, Amaziah. Uh, he's the ninth king of Judah. He's the son of Joash, uh, also known as Jehoash. Mike, he was the boy king. He, he, his dad is the one who was the very young king. Started out pretty well, but really didn't finish very well. And we see something like that again tonight. We see, last, last week we talked about the power of examples a little bit and uh, how the easiest thing to do is follow a bad example. Uh, there's some of that uh, happening here uh, in this man's life also, I believe. Look here, 2 Kings 14, verse 1. Want to look at 2 Chronicles later on, really spend fair amount of time there tonight. Let's start out here, 2 Kings 14, verse 1. The Bible says, In the second year of Joash, son of Jehoaz, king of Israel, reigned Amaziah. He's the brother, that's a little bit loud, I think. Just a little bit loud. Uh, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah. He was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign and reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. I just have to stop there for one second. Um, Lord, help us to do what is right in your sight. Brother, that's what matters. Doesn't matter what other people think, doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what is right in the sight of the Lord. I, I just can't read that verse and, and not say that. You know that by now. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet, not like David his father, he did according to all things as Joash his father did. Not, not perfect obedience. His 
relatively good start as king was marred by imperfect obedience. And, and really in the same area, Mike, that's, that's been a theme. Uh, verse 4 says, Howbeit the high places were not taken away. He did not do away with the practice of idolatry, the place of idolatry. He didn't do away with the idols, the false gods. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, as yet the people did sacrifice and burnt incenses. Uh, they sacrificed and burnt incense uh, on the high places. He understood surely that this was offensive to the Lord, that he should have dealt with this. Uh, but like so many who had gone before him, he, he didn't. Rich, we've... We've speculated this would be for political purposes. You take away the, uh, the, the worship that people have been accustomed to, there, there might have been danger politically uh, in that decision. Of course, there was danger spiritually, Mike, in uh, allowing the sin to continue, to not leading uh, as a godly king should. Uh, there's far greater danger in not obeying the Lord. I think Brother Gary uh, said something like that last week. Um, verse 5 uh, we see this. It came to pass, as soon as the kingdom was confirmed in his hands, that he slew his servants, which had slain uh, the king, his father. You remember Joash uh, in the south in Judah? Uh, he had been assassinated. Um, you remember. Uh, he had been assassinated. And so um, when uh, his son Amaziah, when Amaziah becomes king, he says, well, you know, dad, dad was murdered. Um, now, I understand that his dad's murder, um, it was a revenge kind of thing. It, 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 was, it was about that. But Gary, that doesn't justify murder, right? Uh, uh, there might there will always be an explanation for murder. There's never going to be an explanation, uh, sorry, an excuse for wrongly taking someone's life. By the way, there's always an explanation, always. Remember, sometimes, um, sometimes killing is justified biblically, self-defense, uh, defending one's nation, um, understand that. Uh, but murder is, is different. By definition, it's unjustified taking of life. And while there was an explanation for the taking of Joash's life, Joash, father of Amaziah, uh, it was murder. Uh, and so now that he's the king, he decides that uh, he should uh, carry out justice. Uh, now, let me ask you this question. When he as king decides to carry out justice against the uh, murderer of his father, um, by uh, carrying out capital punishment against the murderers of his father, was he on strong biblical footing? It was, was, it, was it, Rich is saying yes, was it biblically proper? Was that, was that biblically permissible? Did the Lord call for capital punishment in, in the case of murder? Yes, he did. Uh, he, he did. And so, you know, you, you look at verse 5 and you say, well, maybe that's part of what he did wrong. No, it's not. That, that was biblical. There is a, a clear biblical mandate for capital punishment, life for life, uh, in the case of murder. And I want to ask you just to get a, several references down so you have those in your notes. Let's, let's, let's get a hold of that um, as a church. Capital punishment uh, is... Brother Ray, as is, is, is distasteful as it is, it, it is biblical. Uh, it is biblical, and we need to understand that as, as biblicists, people who uh, want, to, want our lives and our understanding and, and beliefs to be conformed to the word of God. Genesis 9, 6, 
here in the account of Noah. Uh, if you're reading through your Bible this year, may, maybe you've been there already or you will be soon. Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. So there, there's the, the first reference to this, this uh, mandate for capital punishment. Exodus 21, 12 says, He that smiteth the man so that he dies shall surely... Uh, be put to death. And you have similar verse in Leviticus 24 and verse 17. So if you're making notes, again, I encourage you to. It's Genesis 9, 6, Exodus 21, 12, uh, Exodus 21, 12, and Leviticus 24, 17. There's other places we could look. Very clear mandate, Brother Ray, for, for capital punishment. That's, that's biblical. We don't have to like it, but we, we need to acknowledge that, that that is biblical. That is uh, justice in God's eyes, and, and so um, I would understand that this is a biblical form of justice as defined by the Lord uh, himself. Now, uh, I don't want to belabor this too long, but you, you remember uh, in the Old Testament, we saw in Numbers that a man who took a life accidentally, um, unintentionally, there, there was a uh, a, a system uh, whereby he could seek uh, relief uh, from capital. You go to one of those so-called cities of refuge, right? There are places where you could go uh, and, and find refuge from punishment uh, for uh, killing. If, if you killed someone unintentionally, uh, you, you could seek refuge in, in one of those places. Uh, Rich, clearly, and, and again, we don't have time to, to park there tonight, but think back to our study through the book of Numbers. We understood those, those places are a picture of Christ. Uh, there's, there's lots of men, lots of people who are pictures of Christ in Scripture. Uh, those were places, six cities of refuge. Those were places uh, that pictured Christ, a place where you could seek refuge, uh, picturing the person of Christ in whom we find refuge uh, from the consequences uh, of our actions. And, and praise God for that. Mike, in Christ, uh, I'm forgiven. I, I find forgiveness, uh, and I understand I, I find uh, freedom from the consequences of my sin. So uh, we remember that. So uh, his actions here are, are biblical. It really, it really, you'd be hard pressed to make a biblical case that this particular thing. Uh, is unbiblical. His approach in, in verse 6, uh, in, in verse 6 you can see uh, a little bit more that he is, he's trying to be very biblical. Now he may be picking and choosing where he's following the word of God, and, and, and Gary, I think he is. He's not taking down the high places, but he is in, in other places, in, in other parts of his rule, he's being very careful uh, to, to follow the word of God. Verse 6 says this, but the children of the murderers he slew not. Uh, the children of murderers he, he slew not. Make a note, please, Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16. It's Deuteronomy 24 and, and verse 16. Specifically says when you're, you're carrying out, uh, you're holding a man responsible for a murder, uh, you're, you're going to carry out biblical capital punishment against uh, the guilty party or guilty parties uh, yep, that, that's, that's biblical. God has actually commanded that. But he says, don't hold their children responsible. There might be a, uh, an angry temptation to, to go after that man's family, to get him and his family. But God says, no, uh, no. Deuteronomy 24, 16, the father shall uh, 
not to be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for their fathers. Uh, every man shall be put to death for his own sin. Uh, and so you see here in verse 6 that Amaziah, he took care to follow uh, that precept. The children of the murderers he slew not, uh, according unto that which is written, that which is written in the book of the law uh, of Moses. The book of the law of Moses, that would be which books? It'd be, it'd be the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, so including Deuteronomy, where, where we find uh, the verse that, uh, that, that he's alluding to. So uh, the Pentateuch, uh, if, if you prefer. Uh, and so, yeah, he sought justice for his dad, uh, the prior king, uh, biblically. He, he carried that out biblically as far as we can see. He left some things undone, certainly for political purposes. Uh, other things, he, he was very biblical uh, in his approach to them. And, and, and you know, the latter part, at least, um, is good. Now, uh, see verse 7. I want to see uh, verse 7 and then turn over to Second Chronicles 25 to see uh, a lot more of the details around verse 7. Uh, verse 7 says this, He slew um, of Edom in the Valley of Salt, uh, probably there just south of the Dead Sea, down south. He slew of Edom in the Valley of Salt 10,000 uh, and took Selah. This may be the same place as Petra that you're more familiar with. Uh, by war uh, and called the name of it Jothiel uh, unto uh, this day. So, so went and carried out this campaign uh, in Edom. And we, we won't go back there, but if we turn back to chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 20, 20, 21, 22, uh, you, you may recall that, that Edom had been pretty subservient to Judah. Uh, they, they really had been sort of a client state serving Judah, uh, but then rebelled uh, against Judah and, and carried out a campaign against them, took some, uh, took some territory. Uh, so Amaziah comes into reign, and uh, maybe for political gain, may, maybe for other motives, we can't be really sure. He decides that he's going to go back after Edom and, and reclaim uh, whatever they had taken uh, in, in that um, campaign of, of chapter 8. So uh, he says, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the new king probably trying Mike to just kind of establish himself as king, accomplish some things. You know, he's, he, he's taking care of dad's murderers. Now he's going to go out and get Edom and get the land back. Uh, he's, he's notching his belt. He's, he's establishing some, some credentials uh, as king. Uh, no doubt he probably felt this give him more power. Uh, politically. So verse 7 says he slew of Edom. He, he went and uh, went to war with Edom in the Valley of Salt, uh, slew 10,000, took uh, this place, Selah, probably Petra, took it by war uh, and renamed it. Now turn over, if you would, to 2 Chronicles 25. 2 Chronicles 25. Um, remember that uh, 1 Second Kings, 1 Second Chronicles, um, they, they parallel, uh, they largely parallel one another. Um, Second Chronicles gives a lot more detail in some areas uh, where Second Kings just makes a little reference to an event. Uh, you may find a passage or several verses that, that add detail. 
And I think this is a case where it's, it's going to be really valuable. As it was, I don't want to study the life of Amaziah to really understand some of the things that happened. And you, I'm sure that, that some of us re recall the details um, and, and how instructive they are. Um, stop think for a second. Um, why might the Lord have given us more than one account of things uh, in the Old Testament? Zach, I, I, you know, we've, we've talked about why the Lord may have given us four Gospels. Well, I understand there's two different audiences and there's, there's four different perspectives. And we have that Old Testament principle of uh, truth being established through multiple witnesses also. And, and I think that that last idea may, may be one of the reasons why um, we have multiple accounts of, of the same periods of history in, in the Old Testament. We have, we have that Old Testament principle of multiple accounts establishing uh, a truth. That's just thought for you, just, just a, a quick side thought. I want to spend a, a few minutes, um, and, and, and maybe the bulk of our time here tonight, maybe, um, looking at the details behind verse 7 uh, that we see unfolding here in Second Chronicles 25. Um, let's, well, let's pick it up in verse 1, actually. So um, you'll see that this, this chapter is very much parallel to um, uh, Second Kings 14. Amaziah, so this is Second Chronicles 25, Second Chronicles 25, verse 1. Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. He's a king of Judah, that makes sense. His mother's name was Jehoiadan uh, of Jerusalem. So we've seen some of those details in Second Kings 14. Verse 2, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. We've seen that. So I now have two witnesses to the same truth. Uh, but there's a but here that, that gets added. So there's, there's some details added here. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, uh, but what? Not with a what? Not with a perfect heart. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, that verse is key. That, that phrase is key. And I think it's, it's going to explain uh, an awful lot. You can, you can do right but for the wrong reasons, <laughs> you can uh, you you can do right uh, for a lot of different reasons. You you could choose to obey the word of God uh, for reasons that have nothing to do with God. You ever think about that? You could choose to obey, but for reasons other than the desire to please the Lord. You could choose to obey to be seen. Look at me. Look look how obedient I am, brother Arts. Look how perfect, you know, there's all kinds of motives. Uh, look how spiritual I am. Look how obedient I am. Look how mature I am. Look how much better than you I am. Not very loving, is it? Not very mature either. Um, this man did that which is right in the sight of the Lord, but not the perfect heart. His motives, his, his heart wasn't in it. His motives, whatever they were, were not right. Verse 3, now it came to pass when the kingdom was established to him that he slew his servants that killed the king his father. So we, we understand that. We've, we've seen that. Uh, but he slew not their children. We understand that. We've seen that. But did as is written in the law in the book of Moses where the Lord commanded. We, we saw that. We saw that. Now come down to verse 5. Verse 5 begins a longer, more detailed uh, account parallel to verse 7 back in 2 Kings 14. So let's see this. Uh, much more here. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together 
and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah uh, and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war uh, that could handle spear and shield. He's gathering up the troops uh, to go to war uh, against Edom. That's what we saw in, in verse 7, 2 Kings 14. Uh, so here's a little bit more detail. He's, he's taking a census, gathering up the men, organizing them into uh, a well-ordered army. Now verse 6. He hired also 100,000 mighty men of valor uh, out of Israel for a hundred and hundred talents uh, of silver. That's a lot of silver. Um, I read that it, it's several tons of silver. That, that's, a, that's an enormous amount of silver. Uh, that's, that's a very large amount of, of money. He goes out, uh, he, he looks up to the north and says, hey, uh, I don't have the army that I really need to take Edom comfortably. Uh, I, don't, I just don't have what I need. I got 300,000 choice men, but I need more. Uh, and so he looks up to the north and says, well, okay, I've, I've got enough silver, Brother Mike, to hire 100,000 mercenaries from Israel in the north. Now, I think there's, there's probably at least two problems here. What's the status? What's the spiritual state of Israel up in the north at this time? Did they have any good kings ever? They did not. Did they have any righteous kings ever? No, that's what we mean. Uh, they, they didn't. They, they didn't have a single good king uh, all, all throughout the period of the divided kingdom. Uh, all of their kings did that which was not right in the sight of the Lord. They were all uh, pretty wicked uh, to varying degrees. Um, and the, the state of Israel, the, the northern kingdom, was very wicked uh, as a result of that. Should King Amaziah of Judah be looking up there for anything, or as much as God would desire the, the kingdoms to be reunited, um, uh, should, he, should he be separate from, should he remain as se separate as he could at this time from all of the wickedness that was there in the north? Well, Zach, we, we understand the Lord's called us to be separate from wickedness, right? To, to be uh, separate from evil. That, that's a principle that you can see sort of strung or, or threaded throughout Scripture. Uh, we know that by the time we get to the New Testament, you've got verses like 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? The Lord has called us and... Uh, we really need to get a hold of this principle, this command, this very much a New Testament command that, that we keep ourselves separate, that we not yoke ourselves to unbelievers and, and people that practice wickedness in a way that would uh, allow them to influence us and, and to lead us into their wickedness. Believers should not be married to unbelievers. Uh, there should not be dating between believers and, and unbelievers. We, we, are, we are called to remain separate uh, from the lost, uh, from the wicked. And this principle that, you know, I, Mike, I really believe Amaziah would have understood this all the way back in his day, all the way back in, uh, in his time in 2 Kings. He, I believe he would have understood that uh, I should be looking to the Lord 
rather than to all of the wickedness up there north uh, above me. Uh, he should have been looking to the Lord. God, would you have me to do this, number one? God, would you, would you have me to go to war against Edom and, and, and take back what was taken from us, number one? That would be a good prayer. Uh, and then secondly, God, how many men should we take? Uh, and, and God, if we need more, you know, I mean, Zach, that will all be good. But pray. Pray about that before you just launch into kind of whatever seems right to you. He made a plan. He counted his men. He decided, I don't think we have enough to comfortably take um, or to, to, have, to prevail in, in, in this war. So he says, we, we'll just hire 100,000 mercenaries from among uh, very wicked Israel. This becomes clear quickly. This is not God's plan. This is not God's idea, not his plan, not his desire. Uh, verse 8, still set Chronicles. And verse 8 there says, but... Nope, go back, go back, please. Um, verse 7. There came a man of God to him saying, O king, are you there? Everybody there? Okay. O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee. The prophet of the Lord comes to him and says, Hey, don't do this. If you're going to go into this battle, whatever you do, don't, don't take these 100,000 uh, mercenaries from the north with you. Don't, don't do it. This, this is not God's desire not God's plan. O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel. Well, sure, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, they're practicing the worst kind of wickedness and idolatry. The Lord is not with them. Uh, he, he was not in that, not desiring to bless them, not desiring that his genuine people be separate from them, no doubt. The Lord is not with Israel, to wit, with all the children uh, of Ephraim. I understand Ephraim is used as a synonym for Israel. Don't, don't be confused by that. Uh, one of the tribes, but used as a synonym. Sometimes for, sometimes it's used um, as a reference to the two kingdoms, the nation as a whole. Uh, but I think more commonly, probably most of the time, it's used, the word is used as a reference to the northern kingdom, Israel. Israel. Uh, don't be confused by that. The Lord's not with them. Don't take those guys with you when you go into battle. You want to be blessed with victory. This is not something God can bless. Mike, we need to get a hold of that in our own lives. We're looking to God for blessings. We're going to make sure that we're not allying ourselves with wicked people and wicked things. God said, you, I mean, I have, to, I have to have some kind of relationship with people to reach them with the gospel, to reach them for Christ. But I have to be really careful about my relationship. They'd not be too close, they'd not allow them a space of influence over me, a uh, degree of influence over me, excuse me. I'd be really careful because God said, don't let that happen. Don't be too close, you'd be separate. Uh, that was principle then, it's principle now. Praise God, he's warned us about this. Uh, if we want to be blessed, we need to be separate. Our, there needs to be a separation in our lives today if we want to be blessed. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. How about you? You want to be blessed? Um, Gary, good evening, sir. <laughs> you want to be blessed? Why? You do. 
I understand. Sure, I understand. Right. Everybody's a sinner. <laughs> Everyone's a sinner. Yeah, I understand. Uh, a person could be lost, but living a life that was relatively righteous, looking from the outside. By the way, I... One thing that's always grieved me is when a, a, a lost person is living a life that appears to be more righteous practically, externally, than a saved person. Does that grieve you? You, you ever see that? Here's someone who claims that they're saved, claim they have a testimony. They, they have a testimony of having received Christ, but their life is a, just a, a sinful disaster area. But here's a lost person who, whose life looks much more righteous. I understand that person is on their way to hell because there is sin in their lives. Um, but boy, that's, that's not a good thing. Um, let's continue. Um, verse 8, if thou, if thou will go, do it. Be strong for battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy. For God hath power to help and to cast down. He says, listen, you're going to take these um, sinful, you know, these were sinful, wicked people, no doubt, in the battle with you, uh, you're going to suffer consequences. This is not God's plan, not God's will. Not This would be contrary to God's will. Uh, if you choose to ignore that, God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. God could give you a victory if, if you'll if, if this is God's will and you'll approach it God's way, he can help you. he give you a victory. But if you're going to do it your own way, um, without separating from wickedness, God also has power to cast you down, to withhold blessings, to pour chastening uh, consequences into your life. Uh, we understand that. Well, here's here's picture of that truth right here. This is actual literal history, but boy, it's it it, it pictures these principles, these these truths that we need to understand and, and keep in mind. Look at verse 9. <laughs> now, you stop and think about how you might have reacted to the prophet of God, the man of God. How, how would you have reacted? Well, here's Amaziah's response, verse 9. Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents, the silver, uh, which I have given to the army of Israel? But I gave them so much money already. I, all, all the silver, tons of silver, literally, We've already paid them. We've already given them the money. They're not going to give it back. Uh, Mr. Prophet of God, I've, I've already, already hired these guys and paid them. And so uh, if I don't take them into battle with me, that's just wasted. Uh, that's gone. Well, you know what? That's true. That's true. How, how could that have been avoided, Rich? How could he have avoided that situation? He could have prayed first. God would have me to hire these guys from, from Israel, wicked Israel, at that time. Yeah, we want to do it our way. And, and so, you know, a lot of times I think this situation is, is exactly where we find ourselves. We didn't stop to ask God. We just jumped in and, and made our own plan. And we're well down the road uh, uh, carrying out our own plan. When all of a sudden you realize this was not God's plan at all, uh, but I've invested all this time and energy and maybe money like we see here, uh, but I, boy, I recognize that uh, if, if I'm going to get back to where God wants me to be, I'm going to have to w be willing to just forego 
uh, all of that. That's, that, that, that investment is just lost uh, and, and get back to where God would have me to be. Sometimes, I mean, that's, that's what you have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to say, hey, uh, I've invested all of this stuff, all this time, all this energy, uh, but uh, it was, that investment was wrongly focused. It was not focused where it should have been. And so I'm going to have to just be willing to suffer that loss. Um, look at the answer of the man of God, middle of verse 9. Man of God answered, hey, I added that, Brother Mike. Uh, pray for me, I shouldn't do that. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Isn't that great? He said, listen, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter. You've already, you've lost that. Uh, that's the consequence. Don't, don't heap more consequences by persisting in this thing that God is commanding you through me not to do. Don't, don't double down and suffer worse consequences. Just understand that God is able to restore that to you if he chooses to. It's kind of implied, right? If you, you lost that because you chose to pursue this plan without seeking the Lord, but you know what? If you'll get right, the implication is that if, if you'll get right, God may restore that back to you and, and, and maybe more. Haggai 2.8, the Lord says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. Yeah, everything that is his is his. He's made everything, uh, and, and he's able to give and to bless as he chooses. Um, you remember the account in Luke, um, in the Gospels, of the man who desired to be saved. Um, the Lord said to him, hey, um, rich man, right? The rich young ruler, just take your stuff and sell it and give it to the, the poor. And, and you'll be good. You'll be good. He said, I don't think I can do that. Jesus answered and was dealing with his disciples over that. And Peter asked a question. The Lord answered verily, saying to you, there's no man that has left houses or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life ever. Um, thank you, Lord. <laughs> well, how are you? Anything we give up for the blessings that we know in exchange for that are, are, are so much greater. Uh, this man's greatest concern was, was the money that had already been spent. Uh, the prophet says, don't worry about that. God can restore that to you. And, you know, you just, you just do right and let God bless you. Uh, you won't have to worry about that. Well, look at verse 10. Um, he seems to receive the counsel. Amaziah separated them to wit the army that was come to him out of Ephraim, Israel, to go home again. He sent them home. Yeah, he received the counsel. Hey, don't do this. Don't worry about the money. Just send them home. That's, that's the best thing. Uh, wherefore, their anger, the, the mercenaries were not happy. They had their money, but they weren't happy. They were, their anger was greatly kindled against Judah, and they returned home in, in great anger. Uh, they end up attacking Judah on the way back home. They, no, no doubt they were looking to be paid, but Zach probably expected to get certain spoils of war also. You know, they were looking to get paid plus the bonus uh, that would come as they prevailed and took up the spoils of, of uh, Edom. Um, they didn't have that opportunity. So probably they'd go home embarrassed also. Hey, you guys went off to war and you're coming home with nothing. What, what happened? They were angry. They were angry. 
but Amaziah had done right. Look at verse 11. Amaziah strengthened himself and led forth his people and went to the valley of salt and smote of the children of Seir 10,000. Verse 12, another 10,000 left alive did the children of Judah carry away captive and brought them unto the top of the rock and cast them down from the top of the rock that they all were broken in pieces. Uh, that's pretty gruesome, but it's, it's a picture of a great victory. Uh, Zach, I think God gave him that victory because he received counsel from the man of God and he obeyed it and God blessed him uh, with a victory. Um, he had a victory, but there were still consequences. The, the matter of the 100,000 from the north was still a thing. Mike, I can make all kinds of sinful, a man, a man can make all kinds of sinful decisions and then get saved, but still have to deal with the consequences of all the sinful decisions. A saved person can make all kinds of sinful decisions and then repent and forsake those sinful decisions, but still have to deal with the consequences of the sinful decisions. You see that here. Verse 13, the soldiers of the army which Amaziah sent back north, the, the Israeli mercenaries, that they should not go with him to battle, fell upon the cities of Judah. They're angry, so they attacked Judah. Uh, from Samaria even unto Beth Horon and smote 3,000 of them and took much what? They were going to get their bonus one way or another. They took it from Judah. Um, think that was a political problem for Amaziah? I bet it was. 3,000 of his people were smote uh, and the spoiler stuff was taken. I'll bet that was a problem. I'll bet that was a big problem. Um, how could he have avoided that? How could he have avoided that? Before he had hired them in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Lord, help us to remember any time <laughs> we've got a decision to make or we, we're inclined to embark on some significant thing or some small thing. Give us hearts to pray. Give us hearts to test our leading against your word and give us hearts to seek your will. Uh, give us hearts to see if, if, if you'll give us peace about something or not in response to our prayer about that thing. This man didn't do that. He lost tons of silver uh, and then he lost tons of people and their stuff. In the middle of that, he had repented and, and forsaken the, the sinful decision. But it still had great consequences. Only way that could have been avoided, I believe, Brother Mike, is just be more prayerful on the front end. Pray and pray and pray uh, and seek God's will uh, on the front end. Um, Lord, help us. Lord, Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Do we pray enough? That's a convicting question, right? It's a convicting question for me, Brother Mike. Do we pray enough? Do, do we pray about all the major decisions that we make? That's a convicting question. Uh, do we pray enough? Do we, do we pray a little bit about major things? And, and sometimes it, <laughs> this is probably a convicting. No, this is definitely a convicting question. You ever just pray, uh, okay, God, give me, give me wisdom. Uh, help me know what to do, what not to do. And 
I got this thing, here it is, God, and then you just go and do it. <laughs> Brother Ray, we don't really pray and, and give God time to impress upon our hearts his, his answer, and we, we don't really take time to kind of search the scriptures and find principles that would inform our decision, because uh, we should do that too. Um, very often, if we pray, we're tempted to just go through the motions of praying without waiting and really letting God impress upon our hearts his answer. Are we guilty of that a lot? This man was, and he's made out of the same stuff we are. Brother, I said earlier, he has the same sin nature we do, but because of Christ, we also have a new nature. We could do better. Um, I don't know if this man's faith was in the Lord or not, even if it was, we have the advantage of being indwelt by the Spirit of God. Brother Gary, he was without excuse, but we're even more without excuse. We have the completed canon of Scripture. We have, we have the indwelling presence and Spirit of God. Uh, we know what is right when it comes to making decisions, and we have everything that we need to do that. Lord, help us to be prayerful. Um, do you have any... Um, do you have any... Um, convictions I'll use the word resolutions about prayer for the new year uh, maybe you've resolved to read through the Bible good uh, good I haven't put out any Bible through the year plans but if you'd like if you're interested and you don't have one uh, Bible software that can make different plans that take different time and you can basically create whatever plan you want uh, see me if you're interested in that um, it's a good thing to do uh, I'm, I'm doing that um, it's good to make some resolutions um, some decisions about being prayerful also so I would encourage you uh, especially if, you've, if you're convicted that you've not been as prayerful um, not formed a good consistent habit of taking major decisions to the Lord and giving him time to answer um, let's ask him to help us do that I'm going to stop here tonight and pray and then Zach you come and lead us in a song and then we'll we'll focus on praying that'll be wise let's let's borrow it father thank you lord thank you that we have the privilege to come boldly to your throne lord it's a great privilege so often it's a privilege we do not take sufficient advantage of so lord tonight i pray that Help us to be very honest about our prayer lives. Lord, you know where we are individually. You know. It doesn't make any sense to try to hide anything. You know. Lord, I pray tonight that you would search our hearts and show us if our prayer life is not what it should be. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not. Lord, maybe we've been praying maybe even a fair amount but not with a perfect heart. Maybe our motives need some work. Maybe we need to slow down and be patient.
and allow you to answer, to impress your answer upon our hearts. Peace about one choice, no peace about another choice. Father, maybe we need to spend more time in your word together with praying. Test the spirits against your words. Lord, one thing I know for sure tonight is that we can be prayerful. We can come with right hearts and right motives, patiently seeking your will genuinely. We can do that because of Christ. We have that privilege. We have that ability. Well, thank you so much for that tonight. Father, if our motives have not been right, if we've not been patient, if we've not been prayerful, convict us. Give us hearts to just say, Lord, I agree. That's right. I confess that. Help me to turn to a more prayerful relationship with you this year. Help me to turn to a heart that is more perfect as I pray, right motives. Lord, help me to pray with submission to you, seeking your will, your honor, and your glory. Church, give you a moment to pray. Lord, prayer is a privilege. I thank you so much for it tonight. Help us to make some good, solid, steady prayer habits this year. I pray as, you, as we do, Lord, that we'll take time to thank you. And I pray, Lord, that our walk with you will reflect prayerfulness. Hearts, our patience. Lord, that you'd be honored and gloried. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, you come. Uh, we're going to sing. Stand, stretch your legs if you can, if you like. We'll sing. We'll stay together tonight for prayer, and uh, then we'll sing again. You're going to change the song? All right. You're allowed. Can I play it? Okay. 265. All right. Let's stand. We are going to change the song to number 265, Whisper a Prayer, standing as we turn.